or I could just yell. Okay. I have to admit, a few months ago, when this idea of doing pulpit supply at Timbers came up, it was on our staff meeting notes. And uh, when I saw the staff meeting notes and this was on our agenda, I literally checked out. Because in my mind, this is not something that I do. So the conversation came up in our staff meeting, and Dave and Eden are chatting about it, and I don't even know where my brain had gone. I was in my own little world of doing whatever. And uh, they're talking about who's going to do what. And finally, Dave looks at me and says, and Don? And I, and Don what? <laughs> Don, are you going to preach at Timbers? And I said, oh, I don't do that. <laughs> I don't preach other people's churches. <laughs> I don't know if this is a testimony to my God, who asked me to do new things all the time, or to Dave, who's a very strong personality. <laughs> but I'm here this morning. <laughs> I wanted to give you a little taste of who I am. This is my family. I don't know if you're like us. It's very difficult to find time to get everybody together to do family photos, but a wedding seems like a good idea. <laughs> so in the middle there is my oldest daughter, who is Morgan, and married Michael last July. On the far left there is my daughter, Jessie, my husband right beside her, Chris, and on this side is our daughter, Erin, and then our son, Andrew. Andrew was a treat after three girls. He is just so loud and noisy and boisterous <laughs> compared to the girls. Nothing in my house is ever, ever quiet, especially when he's home. You know, that's the cool thing about being a parent, though, is watching your kids grow and change and develop into who God's calling them to be. And so often when they're little, you're watching them just do little things like first time they can put on their own socks. What a win. It's no longer a fight for that anymore. They can do their own socks or choosing their own clothing or going to school for the first time, all these milestones that happens with them that you love to watch and see and know. But it isn't just about their physical development that's so fascinating for us. For me as a parent, watching them grow into the people that God's calling them to be, to see how he's shaping and molding them, to look at hints that we saw when they were very young, and to watch how God's making them into those people is just the most fascinating experience it's been to be as a parent. Also the most terrifying the letting go and having to let them launch themselves and figure life out and to be in those places with them. And with four kids, it's incredibly difficult to keep them all on my radar at the same time. I always wanted four kids, but I was not prepared for that part of it. I honestly thought with that many kids, it'd be great. They'd all have siblings. They'd all learn to share better. They'd share rooms. Everything would be wonderful. I wasn't prepared for the fact that I would literally be standing talking to one, and another one would come in this way and start talking, and another one this way, and then my husband would start talking to me too, and I'd just go, stop. All of you, stop. I need to come back to this one, because this one started first and needs to hear from me today that pushing into a story that at the moment is so important to be a part of. Parenting is just really watching growth and change all the time. Well, the story we're going to look at today is not going to feel like what I started with is going to connect very well until the end. But it's such an incredible, incredible story of Jesus's unbelievable moment in history where what he did spoke to the people around him in a way that made it so incredibly clear that he was the son of God in human form. But as we lead into this story, we're going to do all the backdrop filling up to this. So we're going to cover a lot of verses today because I think it's so important to understand where this story is coming from and for us to see what it was like to have the son of God speaking 
And in some ways, the people around him just not getting it until the very end. But before we do that, would you pray with me? Father, I thank you that this is your word and this is your story about your son. The one that you love, that you sent. Lord Jesus, as we dig into this text this morning, we ask that you would speak to our hearts. We don't want to come to you with closed fists, telling you we have nothing more to learn. We want to come with open hands and open hearts, ready to hear from you this morning. And may the things that we talk about be your words for your people and not mine. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we get into this, we're in John chapter 11. So if you have Bibles and you want to follow along, that's great. It's all going to be up here, though, too. <laughs> so a man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. It's a little background story. This is going to be important. John's setting this up. These are people that know Jesus, and they're living together as brothers and sisters. Her brother, Lazarus, was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the, glory, for the glory of God, so the Son of God will be received glory from this. So although Jesus loved Mary, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Well, clearly, this is a family that Jesus knew and loved. There's a conversation going on, so much so that they have a sense of who Jesus is, and they're so willing when their brother becomes so sick to send messengers, someone to let Jesus know that Lazarus is sick. A sense and an understanding of having seen his ministry, knowing that there's something he can do about this. And so they send word, please come. Please do something. Your friend is sick. And instead, Jesus makes this comment that he's not going to die. It's just going to be for the glory of God and for my glory. And he waited for the next two days. Finally, he says to the disciples, okay, let's go back to Judea. But his disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you really going to go there again? Jesus, in case you're forgetting what's actually happening here, do you remember that they just tried to kill you? You're safer where you are. Maybe you should just stay here. And they ask a very direct question to him. Are you going there again? And Jesus replied, there are 12 hours of daylight in every day. During the day, the people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of this world. But at night, there's danger of stumbling because they have no light. I don't know if you're like me, but when I get into the story, I have those moments of, what? I mean, the disciples asked him a pretty good question. <laughs> they just tried to kill you. They're going to try and do it again. Are you sure you're going back to Judea? Straightforward question. And Jesus talks about daylight. Two different mindsets and two different ways of trying to figure this out. 
It's interesting, when I was reading about this, really what he's saying is that there is work to be done, and there's a set amount of time to get that work done. So regardless of what's around us and the things that we're seeing, if God's calling us to do it, we need to step into that. Are you going to Judea? Talk about time things to get done. Then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. And the disciples said, Lord, if he's sleeping, he will soon get better. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping. But Jesus meant Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. <laughs> I cannot imagine what it would have been like to be a disciple of Jesus at times. For the things that he would say, because the truth was, in his mind, Lazarus was asleep. But for them to understand that if he's asleep, he's just going to wake up. He'll be good. It's a good sign that someone that's sick is sleeping. No, he's dead. <laughs> and we need to go see him. I just think as a disciple, over and over and over, and I would have gone, what? Okay, let's go. So Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go to and die with Jesus. Again, different mindsets. <laughs> Jesus is talking about the things that God's calling him to. Thomas is just seeing the reality as they tried to kill you once, they're going to do it again. Let's go do it. Ironically, we know when they did do it, they ran. But at this moment, so much courage to go where Jesus is calling them to go. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Four days is an incredibly significant number. In Jewish tradition, it was thought that when someone was put in the grave, the spirit of that person hung around the grave for three days. And in that time, someone could be raised from the dead. And it often happened that way. A rabbi would come, and they would raise someone from the dead within that three-day time period. But as soon as you hit the fourth day... Everyone knew that it was beyond hope. That that faint glimmer that you've been holding on to the whole time, that they might return to life, was no longer possible on the fourth day. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. The truth of the moment of that, Lord, if you had been here, I know. I know he would not have died. I have seen the things that you can do. Jesus had healed at a word from a distance several times. And not even gone to the place that was there. But in this case, he was coming, but it seemed like it was after the fact. And Martha's heart was stirred. Martha had a sense that there was something bigger than this. There was something bigger about this man that was before her. I know that if you've been here, he would not have died. But even now, even now, I know that God will do whatever it is you ask. And Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. 
And Martha said, yes, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Other than the Sadducees, resurrection was a pretty common belief. There would there be a day when everyone would rise from the dead. So Martha skips right to the end of the age and says, yes, of course he's going to rise from the dead. We all know that. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? I'm not talking about the resurrection at the end of times, Martha. I'm talking about now. I am the resurrection and the life. He didn't say, I teach about the resurrection and the life. He didn't say, I, I talk about the resurrection and the life. He didn't say, I give it or bring it. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Martha, do you believe me? Do you believe? The question that Jesus asked us over and over and over in the centuries following. Yes, Lord, she told him, I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Yes, Lord, I know that you are the resurrection of life. I know that you are the Messiah. I know that in you life comes from you and only you. I don't know exactly what all that means, but I know this to be true. That question of Martha, do you believe was such a pointed one and not an easy one just to gloss over. Do you believe this to be true? And the answer was, yes, Lord, I do. Then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher is here and wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to see him. In the midst of the morning, the loud wailing, the cries of grief, those who had been there, it was very common for it to be a very loud, noisy thing. So they call her aside and say, Mary, the teacher is here and wants to see you. And she immediately went to hear him. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, same thing almost, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. An accusation? potentially, a cry of the heart that was so broken for losing their brother, an understanding or misunderstanding of what Jesus was doing. Lord, if you'd been here, we've all been there, haven't we? Those moments where, Lord, if you'd done this instead of that, we wouldn't have this. Lord, if you'd moved in this direction, we wouldn't be in this mess. Lord, if only you'd shown up. My brother, my sister, my father would still be alive. This situation would not have happened. My marriage would have been saved. Lord, if only you'd been here. We understand her heart's cry. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him. And he was deeply troubled. Interesting for the word that a deep anchor is translated with the NLT here. It's this word actually of almost a horse like sound of indignation that just came out of him. A frustration 
a hurt of the things that Satan had done to this earth, that death and destruction would have such a cause and effect effect on the lives of the people that he loved. And anger that they had to live with these things. He remained deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. And they told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. Not wailed, not tore his clothes and threw ashes on his head, but wept. Tears. And the people who were standing nearby said, See how much he loved him. But some said, This man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Fair enough question. A question to the God of the universe that does things in timelines that we do not always understand. And in ways and things that we stand back and wonder what he's doing. And yet the end brings the fruit about that he wants to have. Jesus wept. It's not for Lazarus. Because he knew what he was about to do for Lazarus. He wept because he entered the story of this family. Because he came alongside in the moments that they were in and felt their grief. Joined them in the pain of loss. Isn't that an amazing thing that our God steps into our stories like that? Even while he knows the end game and he knows the plans he's got for us, but in the moment of that, he moves in and he's present with us in the very places that we are. He doesn't stand back and tell us, well, in two years' time, this thing's not going to mean anything anymore. (laughs) Oh, don't worry about it, it'll figure itself out. Oh, by the way, he'll be fine. No, in the middle of where we're at, he's present, he's aware. He walks with us. He feels with us. He knows the journey that we're on each and every moment of every day. What an incredible gift that is. Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb, angry at the things of destruction and death. And the cave with a stone rolled across his entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, and always the practical one, (laughs) protested, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? Martha, I asked you if you believed. You said, I believe, I believe in you, and I believe the things you're going to do. And he said, well, now's the testing time. Here's the practical application. Do you actually believe that I'm the Son of God? Do you actually trust me in your story? Because really, she had a choice. She could have said, nah, not happening. You can't touch that tomb. Or she could lay aside her concerns, valid concerns in the climate they lived in and trust 
first testing of the belief that she had in Jesus. Do you believe enough to do the things that I've asked you to do? And so they rolled the stone aside. She was willing to walk this journey with him to see where it would lead. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe that you sent me. I love Jesus. Just in case they all missed it, I'm going to say it out loud so they all know this is the truth. And then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grace closed, his face wrapped in a headcloth, Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. We're not really given a sense of how he came out, <laughs> if he's bound. And I'm a very visual thinker, so I've had quite a few moments this week of visualizing how that potentially, did he hop out? I don't know. <laughs> Somehow came out of the grave and they unwrapped him. And Lazarus was brought back to life, to life again. But the moment of that was such a life-changing thing for those that watched this happen because Jesus did something that was unheard of and not done. Jesus raised a man from the dead on the fourth day. If you want to know who the Son of God is, this is him. There is nothing that he cannot do. It may not be in our timeline. It may not be how we think it should happen, but Jesus does miracles. And the final thing that they may have been wondering for a long time, well, he can heal the sick, he can cast out demons, he can make the blind see and the mute to hear, he can do all kinds of things, but raising the dead? Let's see him do that. And on that day, Jesus Christ proved to them in the Lord's timing that he was the Son of God. So Lazarus was raised... And alive again, so that he could die another day. Wait, what's the resurrection and life bit about then? I am the resurrection and the life. Lazarus would not know the resurrection and life that Jesus was talking about unless he believed himself. That the Son of God that in a few days would be put on a cross, would die for our sins, that belief, that necessary need for understanding of what would be whole and healing for Lazarus on the level that he had not known in the grave. Yes, physically he was alive, heart beating, breath in and out, but spiritually inside, still dead. That's the resurrection and the life that Jesus Christ came for. There is no life without Jesus on the inside. We're born knowing that. We're born with this empty deadness in us that we try and fill with all kinds of things, don't we? All different kinds of ways of making us fill that up and deal with it on our own until we come to the place where we realize nothing will ever accomplish making that dead part alive without Jesus. And in that moment, God calls us to himself and we have a choice. A choice to get down on our knees and surrender ourselves to him or a choice to walk away. 
It would be my heart that all would choose to know God. It's God's heart that all men would come to him. But we know that not all do. But I have this incredible sense that while there's a one-time transaction between us and Jesus, I know that every day he comes to me with the same question, do you believe? On this day, with the things you are facing today, do you believe? Do you believe that I have life for you? Do you believe that I have more to offer you? More ways to walk in my spirit, to experience my love, to know the things that I have again and again this morning. Do you believe? And if we're like Martha, we look at him and we say, yes, we believe. And he says, that's awesome, now do something about it. And the things that I call you to do today, do them. Walk where I walk. See where I go. Minister to the people I put in your world. Live life with me. Because I am the resurrection and the life is life to the fullness. And we know that as long as we've been believers, we do have dead places that we don't want to deal with. Dark places in our hearts that we just can't grapple with that we've locked behind closed doors and said, we don't want that for you. You can do life on this part of my world, but not this. Jesus wants to give us life in every part of who we are. Heart, how we feel, mind, how we think, every part of our spirit, even every cell in our body, he wants to be everything that we need for life and godliness. With Martha, he entered her story. He felt her pain. He walked the journey with her, called her to himself, asked if she believed, and then pushed her out there to do something about her belief. I think sometimes the father looks at us just like we look at our children. And we watch the growth and the change that happens in them, and we celebrate that with them. And he wants that for us too. Not to stay stuck with closed hands, but willing and opening, open to hear what life means with him. Because the last thing we want to be is believers that are new believers for 45 years, living the same new believer life again and again. We want to grow up. We want to know our Father. We want to see his life in us and through us. We want to be like Martha when asked, do you believe? She said, yes, Lord, I believe. Will you pray with me? Father, it's unbelievable, really, that you loved us enough to send your son to this earth to be God in human form so that we could see and know who you are. We know that we don't deserve a second of your attention or your love, and yet you come to each one of us and you offer us new life. You offer us resurrection. You offer us to clean us up and make us new from the inside out. It's an unbelievable gift 
and an incredible journey. We want to be a people that comes to you with open hands and open hearts so that you can call us to yourself again and again. Each and every day, yes, we believe. Yes, we want your life. What would you have us do? Ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.